0: You're listening to Fun Shack, the podcast. I'm Ross Butler. It's May 28th, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Mark Toulouse, co-founder and CEO of Mangrove Capital Partners. Mark is one of Europe's leading venture capitalists. He was the first investor in Skype and is currently chairman of Wix, which is trading on the Nasdaq at about $6 billion. And I also recommend his blog site, Dare to Dream Beyond. It was... Um it was a long time ago we had you on the cover of Real Deals after, uh, after the big Skype success. It must have been, what, 2005 or something like that? That's right, 2005. Seems like so long ago. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that Skype deal really changed. It changed everything, really, in Europe. There's not really been anything as big as that since, has there? Well, I think, you know, it's the combination of big and when
1: it happened, right? It was at the beginning when billions... Was was still a lot of money. Uh, nowadays, nowadays we're talking in ten and twenty and thirty billions. But you know, three billion back then was huge, and and I think it confirmed to Europe that they could do it. We could do it here. Obviously, there's been bigger deals. Spotify is one. Uh, Stripe is another one. But but the reality is, I think it gave everybody the sense that you know we could do it by staying here. We don't have to go to the valley. So yeah, it was it was one of those landmark deals i think for the industry and of course for my firm right but for the industry i think it said do it in europe stay here believe in yourself and and it gave everybody and particularly us the self-belief that we could build great stuff
0: here but there's also a kind of a practical element it started uh, it seeded an ecosystem of entrepreneurs people with money it it did you know i mean there, there were a number of people who came
1: out of that of that of that uh with, with capital and, and who started doing a lot of things, and, and I think you know if there's a regret for me is that we probably were not generous enough during the Skype days with our employees in terms of options, and it didn't create I would say the Silicon Valley style of, of, of wealthy people coming out of a big success that it probably should have been. We've, we we when we look back historically, we say hmm, that's one thing we didn't do well, and we applied that going forward into many of our other companies and saying. You know, if if, if if we're really gonna build this ecosystem in Europe, it's fundamental that many, many people who come out of big successes like this have capital. Uh, now, Skype is at a different time. Uh, we weren't thinking this way, uh, uh, but that's the benefit of history. You can look back and say, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And, and the only criticism I have is about myself and about our, our team and the founders and all that and say, maybe we should have been a little more generous in parsing out the options. You know, we've changed that now at, at Wix, where which is our, our, our other big one, you know, I'm chairman of the company. We now have 250 million, 250, sorry, millionaires in dollars because that lesson I learned at Skype, I came out and said, you know what? Hmm, if we really want to build this ecosystem, we need to be sure that many people are truly benefiting from it. And so today, yeah, that number is about 250 people who are millionaires in dollars. We have 3,200 employees. So, you know, one out of eight, one out of 10 people is a millionaire at Wix. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. This is is WIX, it's the Israeli uh, website company that you're chairman of. That's that's right, that's right,
1: yeah, yeah. And, you know, we just passed another significant milestone in that company uh, a couple of weeks ago. For the first time, we hit $10 billion valuation. And while that is, of course, always largely symbolic in my role as chairman, it's symbolic, but it all says a lot about that, about the company. Uh, a lot of people who have much of their wealth tied up into that business are, are going, wow, man, we've made it. And so our challenge is how do we now take it to $25 billion, right? And so, so, yeah, it's
0: a great time. A great time to be in the business. Yeah, it's so interesting what you say about spreading the wealth because the, the leveraged buyout model has stayed much more concentrated. I think the, driven by some academic research that showed in a buyout situation, it does make sense to keep that equity more concentrated and your experience in venture capital is, is not that at all. You've got to spread the love. Yeah,
1: I think it's, you know, certainly our experience, um, and it's certainly the data that comes out of Silicon Valley, right? I mean, yeah. If you really, if you work, if you really want to create an ecosystem, you need hundreds of, if not thousands of people out there who are seeding deals and well, the money has to come from somewhere so it's all part of creating that ecosystem i think we you know we didn't do a good job as i said at skype uh, that taught us that one important lesson that going forward we would make changes to how we thought and how we encouraged you know companies to give away equity and then luckily i'm able to talk to you about a very concrete example uh, mm. of a company being very successful and at the same time i, I can, I've, I've been public about about the number of millionaires, and about our, and we continue to apply that in many, in almost all of our startups. It's often the first, one of the first questions that we ask founders is, "Tell us what you think about sharing equity." And usually, if if we meet a founder who's like, "Well, you know, I I, I like to keep it concentrated," then that's kind of a red flag for us because we're like, "Look, we need the energy of everybody to make this successful." Um, and, 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 you know, at the end, we are only as successful as the team that spends 18 hours a day, seven days a week building these businesses. So you need to make
0: sure that you spread the wealth to some extent. So I've always thought of Mangrove as a European investor, but, but Wix is Israeli. And I understand you're originally from Africa. So I got it all wrong. Yeah. No. Well, we started the firm, of course, in, in, in Europe,
1: in Luxembourg in, in 2000. We celebrated this year our 20th anniversary. Um, you know, over over time we raised about a billion dollars and have been investing. And then in in about 2007, eight, right around when when I met the Wix founders, it became apparent to us that while Europe was an interesting market, you know, four hours away by plane, there was another interesting market that frankly you can't ignore in tech. And so, you know, I got on an airplane, went out there, met people, you know, serendipity would have it, right? I met the Wix founders and I said, wow, these guys are absolutely magic. And, and as Wix has gained in success, uh, so has our footprint in, in Israel because we have a founding team that says to anybody who wants to listen, hey, Mark's the great guy. If you really want to uh, raise capital, go there. We now have a partner in Israel. So I'd say now we're truly a, a European-Israeli firm in that we do 50% of our deals in Europe and 50% in Israel. Um, and that's our target, right? I mean, we're always gonna go to the best deals. At the end, that's what matters. But but we do think that uh, a, a fund offering to to LPs, for instance, that that to some extent has this dual has this duality to it, um, is a great offering because there aren't that many you know who can offer, so to speak, you kill two birds with one stone, right? You make one allocation and you get exposure to Israel and one to Europe. And actually, when you look at it, it makes sense. The, the, the European market is interesting. It's it's growing. We've been around a long time but you certainly hedge your bets by combining these two into one offering. Um, and Wix is a perfect example. Had we not kind of said, let's get on an airplane, let's go there. We may never have met them. And, and you know, Wix has turned out to be by far our biggest success story.
0: Yeah. So how are things uh, going at Mangrove? We're obviously living in very, very sh- uncertain, strange times at the moment. Um, to what extent is your portfolio affected or reacting to it? Crises are never good, and
1: whenever you're in the middle of the crisis, it feels like nothing will ever get good again. Um, and, and, and we felt that in back in 2001, 2003, 2008, and now. So we have the benefit of some perspective as we look at this. We, we look at it, and here's the good news. The good news is that, unlike the previous crises, this one has, has been discriminating in terms of who it hurt. So, if I look at my portfolio now, we have about a third of the companies that kind of came into the crisis not doing so well. Well, you know, COVID is going to accelerate their death, right? If they were not good before, they're definitely not good during and, and they will die. <clears throat> the other third of our portfolio are companies who are either, you know, struggling because they didn't have enough cash or, or because their business model has been hurt a bit by, by, by COVID. Mm-hmm. And there we've spent a lot of time working with them, and our number one of thing has been make sure you have enough capital on your balance sheet however you get there and you raise money you have to cut costs doesn't matter to us it was all about make sure you can live to fight another day and so the direction was enough cash until december 2021 and i'm extremely pleased with how all of our ceos who initially were shocked by that demand of ours said, you know what, it is the right thing to do because my business was good coming into COVID. It kind of fell off a cliff, but tomorrow will be another day and I will fight another day, but I need, I need to exist to be able to do that. And then the third part of our portfolio are companies who are just absolutely benefiting from, from COVID, right? Those are healthcare companies, those are entertainment companies who you just look at the traffic and it's just gone up. We announced earnings at Wix a couple of weeks ago um, our organic traffic was up 45% year on year during COVID, right? So, and we saw that spike. The minute Italy went into hibernation, the minute Spain went into hibernation, the traffic just jumped. And I think for a couple of reasons. One is, obviously, people are at home, right? They're, they're, what else are they going to do? You can only watch so many Netflix shows, right? After that, you kind of have to get some sanity into your life. Um, and one is, I think there's a lot of people going, oops, maybe I need to think about a business that I'm going to start because I may not have a job coming out of this, right? So we can talk a lot about about COVID, but I'm more worried, frankly, today than about about the economic consequences that are coming than I am about the pandemic. It feels the data we're seeing in our, in a, from our companies as businesses are coming back online, people are realizing they don't, they can't be stuck at home, um, and frankly, the pandemic, while well, it's scared. the the shit out of us in March and April, um, and yes, it's sad with all the tragedies, it is on a macro scale, frankly, not such a big problem, right? Uh, we've had uh, a number of deaths, of course, and that's always sad, but, but the, the damage has been somewhat minor, I think. And, and so I'm more worried about the consequences of high-rating economies. Uh, when people come out, there may not be jobs for them. So, so, you know, we're operating in that context. And so I think compared to previous uh, crises, we're much stronger, much better positioned. And of course, we have slightly grayer hair and, and that allowed us to focus on the right things, cash, and not panic in this crisis, right? So, so and there's opportunities. As I said, the ones that are thriving here are really, really thriving. So, so a bit
0: of everything yeah yeah well i tend to agree with you on the on the lockdown my country in in the uk we're we're virtually in a a coma economically and the challenge is how to get us get us all moving again but i guess one of the interesting things about venture capital is that it's always looking to the future um i mean you still have to worry about your employees and your your day-to-day commitments but ultimately you're looking to change the future not not the present and technology um, seems to be much more of a solution than any other sector could possibly be to changing behaviors and habits yeah. uh, in a fearful world.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and, and you know, to do add to that, of course, it takes us a long time to build companies, right? So it takes us five to 10 years to build companies. So what is three months in a five to 10 year journey? It, 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 you'll look back, at least we will look back at this and go, it was a blip in the life of our successful company. Um, and, and and I think frankly, it is gonna be a blip, generally speaking. We may we may wake up in a year and our kids go, really, we had a lockdown? Or two years, we had a lockdown. And With the perspective we're gonna get, look, we were, everybody was freaked out in March, right? I, I came back from Hong Kong, um, at the end of February, and I was in Hong Kong and Singapore and I landed in, in Europe and nobody believed anything was going to come here and I had spent now 10 days out there and I was like, holy this is coming in some way and it, it already started in Italy and it was just major denial. so you know hopefully this this will learn something out of this and, and as I said for me it's a blip in a longer period of time um, and, and and of course it's easy to say that when you're worried about the future, not the present or the past we do worry about the present. We still do have to pay our employees, right? Uh, cash, is, cash is king. You can only cut costs so much. And, and I think at the end of the day in our business, the beauty of having a portfolio is when you have 25 to 30 companies in that portfolio, you can say there's a third that are bad, a third that are struggling, and a third that are being successful. If you've, if you've invested in a, in, a, in, a, in a reasonably responsible way, right? By having a very varied and broad portfolio, Now's the time where you get all the benefits of, 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 of that strategy. So as uh, the firm, you know, we, we think our, our, our portfolios that are, the active
0: companies are, are going to yield tremendous value for our shareholders. I, I read your healthcare reports on your website, which I thought was excellent. It was good enough for me to stop four or five times and read a fact out to my wife, which she found mm. interesting. So I thought that was really Thank good. You. Can you tell, tell us a bit more about how you see healthcare as an exciting opportunity?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're, as a firm, we're thematically driven. Um, and so we find that that's, e- that's the easiest way for us to comprehend the world. Um, you know, in Skype, it was about calling, we were being ripped off and we thought we could do something. Wix was about websites. And we have a number of themes that we come up and we write these type of reports. And healthcare is something that we started looking at a couple of years ago from our perspective, which is how can software, uh, how can the internet help change the world, right? then. And we and started looking at that and, and probably the most significant investment we've ever made in terms of, I think the ultimate importance of it was looking at this and saying, we think we can automate what a general practitioner does, right? If you think about a general practitioner, he goes or she goes to school, they spend, I don't know, eight years studying medicine, memorizing all sorts of what if scenarios, you know, if my left ear hurts, but my nose doesn't, could it be this or these other things? And that lends itself particularly well actually to technology, to software, writing these type of things. Mm-hmm. So we, we met an incredible founder and, and so we, we, we built a company called K Health, which, which is not, not, a, not a symptom checker, but it really is a very intelligent way of you dialoguing with a robot. But the theme I think is if you look at industries, God, there's one place where I have never felt more stupid in my life is when I walk into my general practitioner's office, right? Because I have not studied medicine and he or she can say anything they want to me and I'll take that medicine because either I'm feeling ill. And so the disconnect of knowledge is so tremendous between GPs and humans, normal humans, that we had never seen that in any other industry. And so we looked at it and say, wow, if we could even just get a tool for me when I walk into my doctor's office to say, hey, here's what I'm feeling. It might be this, or should I take this pill? All of a sudden, the asymmetry of knowledge and information is being addressed. And that's a bit how we're addressing healthcare: is how can you bring information and knowledge to the common person? Uh, All the while, of course, respecting the knowledge that doctors have. And we've made four or five investments in this space that really go after that thing. It's information, knowledge, because generally speaking, uh, healthcare is free, right? It costs a little bit of money. But if you look at the broader world and say to yourself, well, in the U.S. there's 25% of the population that struggles to get healthcare, that's the U.S. Never mind the billion people in Africa, never mind the billion people in India, never mind the billion people in China who struggle with that. Uh, We think this has truly global appeal if you can build products that people are gonna adhere to. So healthcare is about that. Healthcare is about going after an industry that I think is probably, if we thought telecom was really broken, if we thought financial services were really crappy, healthcare is that on a magnitude of 100 and, and being administered by by governments which usually means it's poorly administered so it's a perfect formula for people who have ambition and courage to say let me find my path into that jungle and and our path is intelligence software and knowledge to ultimately change change this and, and as you say the nuggets that you get out of that report or you know we I've had many doctors as I've been very vocal about the things I've just said tell me mark you know you don't know what you're talking about and this and you know you have to be a doctor to start such companies. But one of the nuggets in that report is of the top 50 uh, healthcare apps out there in terms of revenue, not one was started by a medical practitioner. And I think it tells you a lot. It tells you that if you are a doctor, you are an incumbent. You are part of the problem, so to speak. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't some doctors right, that can be creative. These are very general statements. But in general, if you're
0: an incumbent, it's tough to change. Did you lose me there? Yeah, just just slightly. there. I, I wonder if you turned off your video, whether it would be worth having this as an audio only, because okay, let's might... try, let's try that. Let's try that. You were just saying that the, 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 all all the examples you gave they were non-practitioners.
1: That's correct, and and I think it, it comes down to a lesson we've learned in most other industries, which is, if you are an incumbent, you are part of the problem, and it's very difficult to think out of the box that you've been trained to think in. And it's not to say there are not some doctors that can be inhibited, but I think at the end of the day, at least all the great founders we've seen in our healthcare companies, we've realized that they don't come from healthcare. Mm-hmm. And And that data and that report certainly corroborates that feeling. Right? But it creates a lot of stress for people because they go, well, you're not a doctor, how
0: can you understand what medicine is about? And I'm like, well,
1: I think a computer can do a good job,
0: too. So you compare it with the telecoms industry. Um, There are arguably greater complexity, more incumbents, more kind of, well, I don't know, maybe quasi public involvement. So what extent can can uh, some plucky little tech startup really take that on? Well, you know, I, I think you start off by solving
1: the basic problems that you can solve, right? Which is um, a user experience that's poor. So think about the following usage case um, I'm a bit ill at home. I don't, you know, I really don't feel like driving however, however long it takes to get to my doctor, sitting in a room with 20 other people that are sick, um, and hoping the doctor will see me quickly, right? That for me seems like really not cool user experience, Um, and if I can change that in in a way that's meaningful so that if I'm at home, I can self-diagnose myself and go, oh, I'm actually okay. So first of all, I have peace of mind that I'm fine. Uh, Secondly, if I want to, maybe I can arrange a Skype call with a doctor off of my home, and he or she can then prescribe things. That seems to me like a really easy, easy user experience. And I don't care what the industry is like. Ultimately, if you take friction out of processes, humans like that, and it'll try something different. And that's my view on starting, right? And we're seeing that in a number of other things. We're also shareholders in it in the world's most important um, uh, menstrual cycle tracker, so period tracker, right? A company called Flow, F-L-O. Now, here's this company, and it started off as a, as a menstrual cycle tracker for, people, for women who wanted to get pregnant. You know, When I spoke to my wife, who's had two children about this, she essentially said, I've been tracking my, my 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 cycles, but I need an app for this. And but the reality wants and needs an app for everything. And sometimes people my age or my wife's age, we struggle to understand that. And so the new age of medicine is also understanding that younger people have different ways of wanting to access this, right? Now, funnily enough, this company was started by two brothers. You know, two brothers created the world's largest period tracking company, 35 million monthly active users. So the other thing it tells you is that, you know, you hear a lot about femtech or this tech or whatever. I think at the end of the day, we certainly don't say you have to invest in women because it's their female tech or men because of this. We always look for the best people. And these two guys had great ideas. And at the beginning, it was hard for me to believe that they could crack it. But there it is, proof is in the pudding. They've been able to build something great. So, so for me, it's all about taking friction out of that user experience, and or coming up with apps that are gonna bring a new experience. In this case, menstrual cycle tracking. Uh, and, and you know, my wife with two children would never have used the app. But if five years old, I guess there's tons of you who think it's useful. That's the novelty I think in healthcare that you have to go after. And bit by bit, it's gonna get more specialized, right? So we are, we're also invested in a company called HappyFi, and they go after um, mental health issues. You know, in the US, 25% have been to psychologists. So, you know, we've pretty much figured out physical healthcare, not 100%, but we're doing a reasonable good job, but we're not really good at dealing with 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 head cases you know and and, and so they, they they've, they've come they've, they've built a company yeah they they've, they've built a company to try and help you solve that at home so you don't have to spend 200 dollars on going to seeing a psychologist eight times you know so it's a couple grand before you go so i think all of these things are happening and, and before you know it people are going to go oops that's big that's big you know so yeah that's health
0: healthcare <laughs> is exciting healthcare yeah happy that's such a great name it's funny i was going to mention psychology because for me that the, the theme here is is also that people are very interested in understanding themselves. They want to, they want to figure themselves and their family members out to make their lives better. And people are understanding that, you know, it's things like, you know, your life doesn't have to be bad. And there's there's normally a, a problem underlying that problem if only you can understand it. And these days you can become an expert in whatever, in whatever ails you and any technology that makes that easier surely going to be snapped up it really feels like something that's fundamental to the human experience that's being addressed by these technologies i, th- I think it sounds great yeah and,
1: and you know ross at the end who who ever would have thought that facebook or instagram or these type of businesses people would have liked right these are all gambles at the beginning mm. and we're seeing the same thing play out in healthcare. what doctors would think is intuitive to them is not naturally intuitive to a 25 year old, right? Who's looking to understand him or herself better. And and, and flow is a perfect example. I don't think any doctor above 40 would have thought this was a good idea. Doesn't matter what you are, right? And, and so I think we're gonna see crazy stuff come out of this. And then bit by bit, you know, there's gonna be the consumer facing type companies, apps, and then there's going to be the ones that go after, you know, how do I process bills better? How do I do this better? And and, and one, we're going to have to find some level of balance between this, because health is obviously much more complex um, than likes and, and shares and these kinds of things, right? it's Very different. We're dealing with people. And so when you're giving advice online and things like that, the psychology side of it is coming, but that's very much a, a developed world problem, right? When, when you can't feed yourself or... If you're, you know, I think I read in The Economist last year that three out of four doctor's visits are improperly diagnosed in India and in China. And that's because usually the doctors in the villages are not very well trained. And so when you think about, when we think about it as an investment firm is how to try and solve a global problem as opposed to just trying to solve a problem in one country or another, right? We're seeing the same thing happen in, in, in insurance right now, healthcare insurance, for instance, right, which has been on the private side, uh, very much a stodgy old business run by insurance companies that have been doing it for eons. And again, this new generation is the 25-year-olds are saying, what do you mean I can't check my policy on an app? You know, it's like the neobanks, Monzo and those guys. Is Why do they appeal to the young people? Because they have a very easy front-end usage case, right? And And the same thing is happening in insurance and health and all of these things whether you can build a good business about this i don't know right and 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 the fintech companies are finding that out right now it's not enough just to have users ultimately you need to you need to have a business but 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 that, that the need is there and that the consumer is changing 100 percent has happened it's not happening it's happened and you yeah. have to respond to that
0: those are the opportunities for investors like us yeah going, just going back to the diagnosis side what opportunity is there for kind of deeper tech? So you've got the interface stuff, but to what extent can AI really replace doctors and medical professionals in genuine di- diagnostics? Well, I, th- I think ultimately
1: specialization is what will save doctors because it's harder, right? So the more specialized you are, the less likely you're to be AI'd out of the system. Um, because I think AI is still very much in its infancy. And so well, AI can do a lot of things, and, and computational power has given it the ability to look at different scenarios and go through a lot of data. I mean, give you an example, my company, K-Health, you know, we now have 4 or 5 million users, but more importantly is we have medical records on these type of people, so 3 or 4 million, over 20 years, because we bought a database from one of the largest Israeli insurance companies. But what what you get from the insurance company is not like an Excel spreadsheet that you can kind of look at very easily, right? You you get all this information, a lot of it is handwritten. So they have to build this piece of software to understand it. And so they end up with billions of individual data points, billions. And so what, what their AI is able to do is to associate different data points in a way that it's never been able to be done before. And that's, I would say, AI version 1.0, right? The the idea that AI is going to take over your life in the next five years, I think is a bit still science fiction. Um, But but yeah, it's it's, it's happening. The the deeper it is, you know, we're now seeing robots perform operations. Um, I mean, you know, at the end, the technology lends itself particularly well to speculative analysis. We've seen at K-Health, customer or users tell us, I've been diagnosed with this. I wanted to test your app. Within 10 minutes, you diagnosed what I had. It took me two years, three years before, to go see my GP, to get blood tests, to then come back and see him, sent to a specialist and so on and so forth. And when you're dealing with with very problematic diseases like cancer and these type of things, two years is your life that you've given up. So mm-hmm. the faster, the better we can do it, you know, the more people we save and the and, and, and better we're gonna be.
0: I consider myself sitting on the more sceptical end of AI's capabilities, but something I read on your website kind of swayed me Uh, is actually in your voice report, which, which is talking about how AI will, you know, have voice and and eyes and ears and therefore start to absorb real world context. And when it does that, it will start to be able to deal with genuinely complex um, issues, which was a, just another, on a, separate, on a separate kind of technology theme, but something else that I thought was, was very interesting. So you, you see voice as a big opportunity?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, right now, I would say around voice, the world is polarized, right? It's polarized into people like me who think it is, you know, the next great thing. And people who go, it's just a feature, because who's really going to use voice, right? I'd say the majority of the people lie in that second group. Uh, because I think it's difficult for them to understand how voice is really going to be. And that's why in that report, I made a statement. I said the keyboard's gone in five or ten years. It's an easy thing for people to understand, but it was more directionally to help you think, you never thought you could, you'd ever be without a keyboard, because how else would you input into, into, a, into a computer? Well, all you have to do is watch Star Trek or Star Wars to recognize that, you know, unfortunately, no, this is a very inefficient way of doing things, right? Today, you know, you, you whether you choose to use Google product or an Apple product or an Amazon product, the reality is voice recognition is pretty darn good, right? The, the other day, we we had a demo from a, um, I think a Ukrainian entrepreneur, and he was speaking in English. I don't think I could have understood him, right, without the help of the, trans, of, 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 the rescri- of the rescribing of his speech, but the but the the AI recognition had no problem understanding him in any way, shape or form. So wow. the voice recognition has come so far mm. that, 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 that it tells you that that's no longer the issue. And those platforms have solved the problem for us. We are not gonna invent you know, how, how you recognize my voice. What we're gonna do is take that capability and build companies and products. So the keyboard is a perfect example. Um, what, we're, what we're seeing in, in many other areas is, is, is people beginning to want to listen to voice content. Also, we've made a few investments in that, in that space, companies that are growing because people are tired about screen time. Yet there's tons of opportunities to listen to stories. And so we think there's gonna be somewhere in the world a Netflix for voice, right? Uh, certainly Spotify believes it, they're pushing podcasting big and as are you. And so, so the idea that I sit back and just listen to stuff without necessarily mm-hmm. having my eyes there, we think has an opportunity, that's another flavor of voice. But, but the big one is, you know, I, 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 when you look at these phones that we all use, uh, you have to launch the app, right, to be able to do something. I think in a very short period of time, you're just going to say, you know, uh, what's up, Mark, blum, blah, send the message. And you're not going to care anymore as a user necessarily what app is going to use on the phone. Mm. This, by the way, for app owners, I think is a bad, is a bad thing. Because voice is going to go completely horizontal across all apps, and it will not be discriminant. It'll say, the "Search." I'm going to use Google for messaging. It'll be "What's up." You'll set those parameters up, and then you'll just say, "You know, message Ross." I'll be, you know, on my bike. Message Ross. Say, "Hey, it's a nice day here in Barcelona. Let's have a call at 11 o'clock." And that's it. Now, nobody can tell me that that is not way more convenient than actually sitting down and typing on my bloody phone, right, or on my computer. Mm. So. When, when people tell me oh but you're getting it wrong it isn't really a chasm it's just a, a better a, a better an incremental benefit you no know, i think five ten years from now we'll be laughing at people who are still using keyboards because <laughs> i've lived I, I, i've lived this i remember this is a funny early type story it was before we sold the company to ebay and and uh one of my investors This was remember, this was the still the tail end of the bubble of internet. People were losing a lot of money. People were worried they invested in venture funds, which funds made money back then, right? Very few made any money. And and I got called to Brussels by one of my biggest shareholders. And the lady said to me, You know, Martin, I've been invested in your fund for several years. You know, please tell me how I'm gonna make money. And I was so proud. I took out my computer and I said, here we go, we're gonna make phone calls, you know, using this computer. And she looked at me, she said, I've lost all my money, haven't I? And I think voice, <laughs> voice, voice is at the, same, at the same moment. When people are going, you're crazy, it's not this, it's not, I'm like, I'm not so sure, man, you know? Mm-hmm. The reality is, I would love not to have a keyboard. I would love to be able to just dictate. In fact, you know, you, you, you're, you're a journalist, you know. Now, sometimes it's true that a keyboard, you've gotten used to, it, it helps you think. You write, you delete, you think again, and so on and so forth. But I'm not sure you can't do the same thing. Uh, Just spit it out and say, correct Mm. this, change that. So the applications are going to be far wide and they'll come. They'll, you know, we may wake up in five years and go, where is the keyboard? Right. Oh, you mean there's no keyboard, right? Mm. Um, Steve, remember Steve jobs was the first guy to say, the world is going Wi-Fi. I am no longer going to put ports on my machines. Mm. And everybody said, the guy's a madman, you know, well. I got a Mac. I don't have a port anymore, and and who 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 uses sticks and nobody anymore. So mm. this will happen very very quickly. It'll it'll sneak up on many of us, and those who haven't paid attention will look back and go, "Damn, I should have invested in companies doing stuff in that space."
0: So that, that's kind of our view. Yeah, I find it very convincing, and I'm tied to my keyboard. But it's also quite ironic because you know, there's only two generations of office workers ago when everything was dictated anyway, and a lot of lawyers still do dictate because they're yeah. stuck in the past, but actually it's Correct. the
1: future.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're back
1: to the future, right, in, in, yeah. in many, many things. And there's this startup that's doing kind of that we've invested. It's a French company, and they're doing, you know, they want to be the Netflix of voice. And when I try to explain to people, I said, don't your parents remember listening to the BBC once a week to a show? Well, yeah. I'm like, well, it's exactly the same thing, you know? Yeah, you're now binging shows, right, uh, on yeah. Netflix, but you'll be able to do the same thing on voice. Why wait? But the truth of the matter is we don't need video all the time either, right? That's, I think, the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah. So to, to round this up a little bit, what in terms of uh, what you're doing right now, I assume your investment rates on hold and you're looking at your portfolio a bit more or, or what or are you continuing to invest i
1: mean look the reality is everybody has slowed down investing just because in times of crises you only get criticized there's no upside right that taking bets. now most of our big success stories we invested during times of crisis so it's also when nobody else is looking that you have to find that diamond in the rough I'd say we're spending a little more time uh, managing our portfolio than we are necessarily at making new investments. Um, but again, over a 10-year life of a fund, that we, that we may not be investing actively over a few months, does it really make a difference? No. We announced a new investment last week. We'll be announcing another one, I think, in a few weeks. But, but these are, you know, it's just, I think it's natural for, to, for everybody to take a pause and go, How long is this thing going to last, right? I mean, if you you take the opportunity to go back and listen to our politicians who were talking to us in early April, right, it felt like the world was coming to an end when you listen to that. Perhaps if you were in Italy and in Spain, it did feel like that. People were dying. It was terrible. I think now, kind of entering end of May timeframe, we look at this and go two things. One is it wasn't as bad as we thought we've put our economies in hibernation. So number one, the economies have to come back. That's a massive push for our companies. And two, that's what you're hearing everywhere now, since they can't tell us that it's gotten so bad that we're all gonna, you know, in trouble, they're now selling us on the second wave, right? Be careful, it's coming in October, November. Well, there may be a second wave, Ross, but it's never gonna be as bad as the first one because we know who he is, COVID down, right? Mm. We know how to deal with him. We may not like the consequences, but we know. So I don't think it's going to be as bad. I think, you know, it's going to, we're going to look back and say this was several months of a problem. Um, It's going to have lasting effects, of course, on unemployment of our own doing, right? And all these kind of things. And and our companies need to be prepared to be really active kind of September time. Kind of September Mm. time. And since we helped them manage their cash till the end of 2021, they'll be able to use that cash faster or not. On the short term valuations have gone down in the short term anybody who has cash kind of is king uh, so the pendulum of course has swung back in favor of investors not mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and you hear a lot of entrepreneurs whinging in the market about this it's not fair it's not this well for 10 years you know they've been calling the shots around prices and all these kind of things and and life is a perpetual pendulum sometimes it's in your favor Sometimes mm-hmm. it's against yours, and, and and so, so. No, you have to be active. This is the moment to be very, very active, being very engaged with your portfolio, meeting new entrepreneurs. Anybody you finance now is going to remember you forever. I mean, the Wix guys still tell the story that, you know, we gave them a term sheet in 2008, right in the middle of the crisis. I think maybe it was a month before the crisis. We did it maybe in September. The crisis really hit in, in, in September, late September, October. And they called us up and said are you still going to honor your term sheet right i'm like yeah nothing's changed luckily right i didn't change yep. my mind um <laughs> but, but 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 they remember though you know they, they remember those things and so this is also where you know you make a name for yourself by saying hey you know i'm a man of my word um maybe i have to come back to talk to you about valuation because frankly they have come down um, but but who knows i, I think you saying saying you're not going to be active is is pretty irresponsible at this point
0: mark it's been it's been great catching up with you it's so fascinating and best of luck with uh, everything you're doing maybe once the lockdown's over we can uh, meet in london and do another one of these face to face that would be fantastic of course as
1: long as i don't have to quarantine in the uk um that's fine i'm i'm on i'm at my my country house with my internet connection Uh, my wife purposely purposely makes it poor because when I come here, she usually wants me to be more involved with the family. Of course, we've now been here three months, you know, I've been struggling with this crappy (laughs) internet connection for three months. So I do say it's my fault, like not yours. But it's been great to see, to talk to you, Ross, and see you again. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of good things. Thanks for all of this.
0: You've been listening to the Fund Shack Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and visit our website at fund-shack.com for many more video interviews. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. Thanks for listening.